Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helly. Jordan, how are you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, can't complain this week. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, things are picking up in the sports world, so I can't complain, man. Yeah, definitely right. There are a lot of things to talk about for sure. Uh, we are going to be talking with DeForest Buckner, who is a guy who is now transitioning to a new franchise. He is in Indianapolis as we speak, sort of uh, getting acclimated to the new surroundings. Uh, but he just got a fat four-year, $84 million contract from the Colts after being traded from the 49ers, experienced the loss in the Super Bowl that was of a heartbreaking nature, uh, certainly to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he'll get into all of that. But not only that, maybe even more significant uh, is what's happening off the field for DeForest Buckner. We talk about the contract, moving to Indianapolis, uh, but the guy's now a daddy. He's going to be celebrating his first Father's Day here this weekend. Punahou alum uh, certainly has not forgotten where he is from, and we'll get into some of that discussion with him as you'll hear momentarily. But let's warm things up here with our pregame. According to reports, Jordan, outside entertainment may be brought inside the NBA bubble in Orlando. Details still being negotiated. But this could be in the form of bands, DJs, comedians, uh, who will be allowed to entertain the NBA players when they get this season started back up with 22 teams at the end of July. So uh, we decided, you know, you always hear about fantasy drafts for the actual players. How about we do a fantasy draft for which entertainment acts should be allowed inside the bubble? If you were picking them, you get three picks. You have to have at least one musical act and one comedian. Jordan, who you got? Yeah, th this is fun. I saw some of the tweets coming out, and uh, I didn't know if it was any accident that as the buzz had gotten louder that, uh, you know, players might be hesitant to join the bubble. They, like, release all of the amenities. Uh, this, this sounds kind of utopic. It sounds like Disney World. Not going to lie about that. But, yeah, if they can bring in some entertainment, I, I kind of uh, went at it, you know, kind of try to try to make it as all-inclusive as possible. Uh, so I went uh, – my three, I went with Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino because he's multifaceted as a get, right? Great artist, great hip-hop artist, even though he's like pseudo-retired, right, uh, from, from the hip-hop game. Uh, love his stuff as Childish Gambino. A uh, comic slash actor, and a very funny one. He's a guy who has done stand-up. He's, uh, he's a guy who's been an outspoken critic, I think, of uh, some of America's ills uh, via his art form. Uh, and I think, you know, as, as the players look to have an added voice, why not bring in a guy like... Like Childish. So I'm all in on Childish Gambino. Um, my other comic, if you will, uh, John Oliver. I don't know why, but it's two guys that have appeared on Community for a while, even though I didn't even watch the show. 
but the two guys who had a lengthy run on community, John Oliver, informative via humor, right? And he's a guy who I think we're going to talk a lot about news and fake news and how that's infiltrated the sports world uh, and where you get your news. Uh, maybe John Oliver's as good as it gets, just telling it like it is, and he maybe uh, dresses it down a little bit via humor. Uh, and uh, I think he's a guy that uh, could project a lot. And uh, I say we just do last week tonight from the bubble. We might write into some, some issues with HBO and Disney, but, uh, hey, it's a fantasy draft, right? Um, and then uh, musical artist. I, I tried to think of one that, uh, you know, the, the families could go to, uh, one that uh, the entire bubble, I think, can get on board with. So I went with Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder's going to be playing some hits maybe like once a week in the bubble. He's going to be putting on a concert. It's going to be outdoors. It's going to be great. It's going to be a party. Um, and uh, you can bring the whole family. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, censorship or anything like that when it comes to the profanity because Stevie's just going to put on a put on a grand show. Those are great picks, but you're going with, it sounds like, just individuals who you yourself really dig uh, that you would love to, uh, you know, attend shows of if you were in the NBA bubble, if you had access to that. I'm thinking more along the lines of an NBA executive, and I'm thinking, all right, how can we incorporate acts who fit what we are trying to do here with regard to the NBA bubble? And so my first pick, a musical act, actually another multi-talented, multi-faceted uh, type of individual. Uh, I got Drake. You know why? Because he'll probably be there anyway, as either a member of the Raptors executive staff or, I mean, you know how Drake is. He'll uh, maybe be a member of LeBron's fanboy entourage or, I don't know, one of like 10 other superstars in the NBA who he seems to just hang out with at uh, random moments in time, uh, absolutely turning his back on his uh, allegiance to Toronto and the Raptors organization. But yeah, Drake's probably going to be there anyway. So we got to have Drake in there. Uh, my second one is also choosing convenience over convention. I got Dame Lillard, right? I mean, he's going to be hooping by day, uh, hip hopping, rapping on stage at night, uh, the purest form of entertainment. Again, already in the bubble. And then my third is a little more selfish, is a little bit more just because I think this guy is perhaps as relevant as any comedic entertainer, uh, Dave Chappelle, right? I mean, who doesn't love or at least is riveted by Dave Chappelle, that latest special 846 name because of the eight minutes and 46 seconds in which that Minneapolis uh, police officer was kneeling on the neck of George Floyd. And so it was very heavy, gritty stuff. Uh, but I just feel like Dave Chappelle has his thumb on the pulse of society uh, as much as anybody and as effectively as anybody. So yeah, that's my three, the, the triple Ds, if you will, Drake, Dane, and Dave Chappelle. There you go. I, I, I get it. In my fantasy draft, I'm also in the bubble as like, you know, the the 12th guy on the end of the bench coming in, uh, you know, in, in um, mop-up duty time. So, yeah, this is – mine's just pure fantasy. Don't get me wrong. All right, very good. Well, let's move on from fantasy to uh, – well, it might still be fantasy, but maybe a little more reality. It's game time. And are you ready possibly for some UH football? The NCAA issued a multi-phase team activity model for football programs that would allow – for in the instance of the University of Hawaii, to begin full practices as soon as July 31st, provided that all necessary city, state, and university approvals and requirements are met, of course. Uh, UH Athletics Director Dave Matlin said in a statement in response that UH's goal is to, quote, be able to meet the schedule in an approved, healthy, and safe manner. Uh, the NCAA also waiving the 110-player roster limit uh, they say they want to afford more flexibility for teams and programs in the instance of positive COVID-19 tests. Uh, UH is scheduled, of course, to open the season as one of the teams playing in week zero. That is now traditionally part of the schedule for UH annually. Uh, that game set for August 29th versus Arizona 
in Tucson. So the question is, Jordan, how significant is this, the NCAA taking the step to provide a blueprint for football programs in the next month or so? Yeah, it's a plan, right? And I think that's where it's got to start for sure. And I'm skeptical. I think like a lot of people will be, uh, you know, we, we're seeing schools across the country with, with players testing positive. Um, and, and that's something that they'll have to, to deal with, to react to, uh, have structures in place. University of Texas, one of those today, I think 13 players uh, with some off-season workouts. There are, there are hurdles for sure. Um, heck, just here at the University of Hawaii, as you point out, right, uh, they've got to meet city, state, university protocols and, and approvals. Uh, heck, any of the kids coming back to the state currently, right, prior to camp, maybe starting July 31st, they're going to have to quarantine for 14 days. Uh, so they've got to come at least two weeks before July 31st, which is, as of now, the deadline. Contact sports like football haven't really been approved in any of the any of the counties here in the state. So it's going to be, it, there, there's still significant more hurdles, but I think it is encouraging having a plan, having a course of action um, is part of the process as we near, hopefully football, you know, we don't know. It's still a, a ways off, but, but at least now the teams have dates to shoot for. Whether those get pushed back, we don't know. But again, I, I think it is important as opposed to what they've been doing now, right? Which is kind of operating in this, neutral existence of hey we're gonna have workouts so we volunteer you know what are you doing can we bring them in can you get them on campus we don't know some schools have some schools haven't um and so at least now there is uh, some direction from the biggest power that be uh in the ncaa yeah this is an opening of the door but that's about it it is a a cracking even of the door and everything that's being announced now as it pertains to the world of sports uh, i feel like there should be a salt shaker nearby <laughs> uh, because or, or or many people who are standing behind whoever is making the announcement crossing their fingers because I think that's really what all of these announcements entail it is the opening of the door but it is by no means a concrete announcement that guarantees that we are going to have college football this season or that these kinds of practices are going to be held in the form that is being described it is very conditional but so much can change. Uh, we've been seeing already uh, in pockets around the country where businesses and other activities are reopening, uh, we are already seeing spikes in positive tests. It's going to be interesting to see what the reaction to that is at that time. Uh, but again, I think the, the significance of this is merely the NCAA saying, hey, look, we're on board now with trying to move this thing forward. We have opened the door for you. Now it's kind of on you, the individual institution, to decide whether or not uh, it's a go on your end. It is significant, but again, everything is sort of with a grain of salt and keeping your fingers crossed and just hoping, hoping that this actually comes to fruition. And, and that's interesting because on the high school level, we're seeing, uh, seeing here locally, Jordan, the HHSAA, uh, all five member leagues are uh, extending the suspension of all interscholastic practices until return to play guidelines have been adopted for the reopening of facilities and workouts. That's going to be reevaluated every week. Uh, and so they're kind of holding off on making an NCAA-like announcement. Uh, I think it's a little bit different when you're talking about prep sports. Obviously, you know, we're still awaiting clearance for students to be able to return fully to campuses um, and so, you know, we don't know what that's even going to look like, but uh, it's interesting the different approaches that are being taken as it pertains to sports here on the local level. Yeah, and I think, you know, for the high school side, I think unless, you know, each league 
um, uh, the four leagues or five leagues uh, on the four counties um, get the all clear basically all the way around. I, I, I don't think the HHSA is really going to open things up again, uh, unless it's an, an all for one type of deal. I don't think if, you know, Kauai County or something like that allows their sports to go back, but everybody else doesn't, I don't think we're going to see um, the HHSA really sign off on anything, but yeah, it's, it's a little more cautious, right? Uh, here on the prep level, uh, which is different, different parts, right? Iowa started their high school baseball season, um, you know, and so it, it's different across different parts of the country. But uh, when you look at it from here locally, the University of Hawaii may get a, a bit of the benefit because, again, the NCAA is looking at a nationwide approach um, in, in giving some clearance. All right, so we move on now uh, to Major League Baseball. And, of course, we await uh, if and when that season will officially be announced. Uh, but two more players with Hawaii ties have signed free agent contracts. You have UH right-handed pitcher Cade Smith, who signed with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, this is a guy who's got a head on his shoulders to go along with the arm attached to his right shoulder. Biology major from British Columbia, Canada, was drafted in the 16th round by the Twins out of high school. He could have returned to UH uh, for this upcoming season, but he decides to turn pro. Um, he throws mid-90s. He's 6'5", 230, so a very prototypical type of big league prospect. Uh, so he signs with the Indians. Uh, he, again, went undrafted because of the shortened five-round draft that occurred last week. You also have Hilo High grad uh, and a guy who played for a brief period of time at Everett College in the Northwest Athletic Conference. Uh, a 2019 Hilo High grad, right-handed pitcher, Ocean Gabonia, signs with the Yankees. He is not the prototypical pitching prospect. 6'1", 175, throws high 80s. Uh, so it's interesting how you have these two guys who are, are on sort of opposite ends of the prospect prototype spectrum, and yet they're getting opportunities and making the decision to take advantage of the opportunity despite there being a cap on free agent signing bonuses and what we're seeing. They're just saying, hey, look, you know what? This is a chance for us to go ahead and, and do our thing and, and see if we can realize a dream. We're going to do it regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, and that's a decision a lot of these guys have had to make, right? Uh, especially for Cade Smith, a chance to come back. But uh, as you mentioned, it's it, less surprising to see him go uh, and, and sign a contract 6'5", 230. And obviously the investment from teams is a little less than the usual later draft round signing or anybody, you know, taken after the fifth round with the potential to negotiate a signing bonus well north of $20,000. Uh, so maybe for teams there are willing to take a few more chances um, you know, Gabonia maybe follows, uh, falls in that category. Uh, I was surprised, um, you know, to, to see him uh, sign here, uh, which is great for him. And I think a guy that the Yankees must feel that uh, he's got some potential to grow into that frame, uh, as you pointed out, at 6'1", 175, and maybe develop a bit more velocity, develop a, maybe a little more specialized uh, pitch uh, that can get him up the ladder to potentially be a contributor in that Yankees organization, just based on the fact that, you know, Maui Ohuna, the shortstop at Hilo High, was was more regarded as a potential even draft pick, was on the outside looking in probably 10th round pick, give or take a little bit um, in a normal year. Uh, but a kid coming straight out of high school, right, whereas Ocean Gabonia plays, uh, you know, a cup of coffee to use the baseball parlance in junior college, uh, and a guy who maybe had a chance to explore options uh, at the collegiate level, even going forward, but, but opts to, to take his chance and, and uh, pleasantly surprised. 
It's interesting because there's sort of a, a two-sided coin at play here, right? It's, it's not the most ideal scenario for free agents because of the cap on free agent signing bonuses, but because of the shortened draft, you're not talking about as many prospects as you would be in other years uh, deciding to turn pro because of the circumstances. And so it's almost as if Cade Smith and Ocean Gaboni are looking at this and saying, hey, look, maybe this is as good a chance as any for us to actually stand out and maybe catch on and move up. And you have to argue that that is some sound, potentially sound thinking uh, on their part. Uh, we move on now. How about some Mike Gundy Pilikia? That's right, on the college gridiron, uh, you have Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard, who uh, led the nation in rushing last season. He went public with his displeasure after head coach Mike Gundy was seen on social media wearing an OAN, One America News t-shirt, which is a far-right news network. OAN, just for a little background, has uh, had anchors who have referred to the Black Lives Matter movement as a, quote, farce. Uh, and Hubbard going public. Uh, this prompted other players and alums to share stories of a hostile environment and culture within the OSU program as well. Now, they gave what looked more like a hostage tape uh, type of apology together, Gundy and Hubbard at one point. It didn't necessarily fly because Gundy didn't initially apologize, even though Hubbard appeared to. Gundy then issued a scripted apology promising cultural change within the program. Uh, this seems to be the latest example of a swelling display of uh, empowerment on the part of college athletes, Jordan. We've referenced it a couple of times in past episodes. What do you make of this latest instance of a college football coach being held accountable. And remember, you know, we're talking about the shirt here, but Gundy did give a uh, more tangible verbalized testimonial on behalf of OAN in an interview two months ago with regards to the coronavirus pandemic saying that OAN, quote, just reports the news uh, and then suggesting that college football return amid circumstances at that time, uh, which were much more uncertain uh, that seemed to be somewhat ill-conceived and ill-advised. But what do you make of this latest instance of College athlete empowerment. Yeah, it's unprecedented, right? The motivation and the courage by players to speak out and call out their coaches. Uh, we've, we've really never seen, whether it's Mike Norvell at Florida State, whether it's Kirk Ferentz's staff in Iowa, uh, now Mike Gundy, uh, by his best player and, and arguably one of the best players in college football, they, these coaches are having to answer for it. Um, you know, we've seen some coaches lose their job, albeit with a nice little severance uh, in the case of the strength coach at Iowa. Um, but here we are at, at Oklahoma State, and Mike Gundy has been as outspoken as any football coach in collegiate sports over the last handful of years. Confrontational at times, he has been giving he has been given a lot of leeway at Oklahoma State because he's the most successful head coach they've really ever had uh, on the football side. But then you also hear now, and, and folks have sort of dug up old newspaper articles of 1989 when he was a quarterback for the Cowboys. A number of Colorado players in a game that they played said he had used racial slurs in a game. Um, and again, this isn't hearsay now. This was something that was brought up in 1989 by opponents of his. So how that unfolds going forward, how his players and how the university will react to that news, I don't know. Um, you know, that's kind of unfolding in real time as we record this thing today. But you know, there, there are further instances now of Mike Gundy not shined in a really good light. And again, you know, there's a pattern of behavior here um, that could lead to, to further answering for Mike Gundy. But I think it's awesome. I think the players um, are continuing to gain agency 
whether it's the name image likeness thing for them to make money off of uh, their careers on a collegiate standpoint. We have seen that come down the pipeline. And then now also feeling comfortable enough giving the voice to speak out and call their coaches out when, when they're not representing their, their players and what they stand for when they come out and, and tell lies like Mike Norvell did at Florida state. I, I do think it is, it is a good time. And, and um, you know, I think it is a shifting of the balance a little bit. And I do think maybe not in the right interim, but if Mike Gundy survives this, I think guys like him will find it a little harder to recruit um, in the next couple of years. Yeah, because I think there has been a bit of a disconnect that has sort of been boiling underneath the surface. You know, you don't have to be of a certain ideology to be a college football coach, but it does strike me that a good number of these head coaches, when we are given the access to some of their philosophies, uh, whether it be politically or socially, they tend to be a little bit more right-leaning. They tend to be in favor of the more traditional sort of militaristic structure of college football, right? I mean, you had Nick Saban, who has, in no confusing terms, has come out and spoken against the idea of paying college athletes. Uh, I think they very much appreciate, at least a lot of them, and again, I don't want to generalize with too broad of a, a brush here, uh, but I do think that we have a multitude of identified instances uh, where coaches seem to be very much in favor of holding all of that power and authority. But what we're seeing now is we're seeing college athletes and young people who may be of a different ideology or whatnot. And I don't know how much that even matters, but they have figured out that they have access to a certain leverage. It is not in the form of money. It is not in the form of authority within the institution. Their leverage comes from their ability to go to social media. Uh, but I do think that we're also seeing coming to the surface that traditional disconnect with a lot of college football coaches who are very old timey in their thinking and the fact that we're welcoming in this younger generation of college athletes, many of them much more woke, many of them from areas socially and or politically that would run counter to some of the college football coaches and where they would stand on those same issues. And so I find it fascinating. And in the normal course of time, and when, when we're, we're trying to win football games, when we're trying to win championships and things like that, right? It's like, hey, that's the caveat, right? We all got to roll in the same direction. We all got to make sure we're in the boat together and, and we're all going in the right direction. Right now, there's not really any of that, right? We, we don't know if there's going to be a season. We don't know if we're going to play football games. We don't know if we have any games even to go win. And so I think because of that, in this really strange and, and unprecedented time in anybody of our lifetimes and, and anybody who's playing sports right now, uh, and it has created this opportunity, I think, for players to speak out. And I, I think you've heard that mentioned by a lot of the uh, the athletes getting involved in, in some of the protests and speaking out and things like that, right? It's like, hey, it took a, the world shutting down to, to hear some of the voices that have long been suppressed. Uh, but I do think that's, that applies here in football too, right? Because football, it's that mentality. It's that culture where, hey, the head coach is always right. We're all going to follow him because we're all going to be going in the same direction. We got to make sure we're all fighting towards this common goal which uh, is kind of superficial, right? It's winning. <laughs> it's winning football games. It's, it's performing on the field. Uh, where right now, that goal it really isn't existent. Like, there's, there's nothing to push forward. And so speaking out, becoming a quote-unquote distraction, really isn't a bad thing now. It's like, well, what's that detracting from? 
you know, this is perhaps prompting some significant change. And I think college football, college football, the behemoth that is college football uh, is going to be changing. Uh, the dynamic is going to be changing. And as you said, the power balance is going to be shifting as well at a time when I think a lot of people are starting to identify that these college athletes who have made a whole lot of money for a whole lot of people have been getting the raw end of the deal for a very long time. All right. Well, uh, a guy who has uh, been doing his thing for sure, and we're very proud of him uh, as uh, a Punahou alum and a guy representing Hawaii wherever he goes. Uh, DeForest Buckner is going to join us for our Domino's Hawaii main topping. Uh, he was traded to the Colts, promptly signed a four-year contract worth $84 million, 21 mil annually. He's coming off of a Super Bowl experience. We talked to him about all that stuff, and we were really stoked to have him here uh, as uh, the feature in this episode of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. So let's get right to it and play uh, that interview with Defo. All right, DeForest, it's great to talk with you, man. It's been a long time. Um, how you been, first and foremost, here? <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been really good. Um, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world, you know what I mean, with COVID-19 and, you know, all the, the social injustice and the riots and, you know, um, you know, the protests and stuff. And, I mean, on top of that, me getting traded and, you know, relocating to Indy, um, having a newborn. So it's, it's definitely been a, a whirlwind of, you know, craziness right now. Yeah, quite a wild uh, 2020 so far. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been a roller coaster ride for you. Let's start with the trade and, and new surroundings for you. We, we're talking with you while you're in Indianapolis right now, making the transition. Yeah. Uh, but take us back to when you first got word about the trade and sort of what went through you. What was your initial reaction to that? Yeah, um, honestly, we knew about the trade about two weeks before it was actually announced. And, um, you know, just uh, going through the whole negotiation process, you know, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a business, the nature of the game. You know, obviously I wanted to, you know, I was one of those guys that wanted to play my entire career at one place. But, I mean, it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not all my entirely my decision. You know what I mean? Uh, the organization had to, you know, move on. And, um, you know, we, you know, we just couldn't find common ground. Um, you know, I, I told them, you know, uh, pretty much we brought the offer that India was giving us, you know, and gave it to them and told them, you know, this is what they're willing to pay me. And they're also willing to give, give you guys a first round pick. But, you know, I was trying to negotiate with them, you know, a, you know, a price for the contract. I mean, I was, you know, I knew our situation with cap space and, um, you know, I wasn't trying to set any records. You know, I want, I just wanted a fair deal. And um, they were stuck on a number and wasn't willing to, you know, meet me in the middle somewhere. And I mean, they, they ultimately made a decision. And um, honestly, I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, everything turned out the way it did because, um, you know, I was able to meet, you know, a lot of, a lot of great people, talk to a lot of great people out here in Indy and, um, you know, it's, it, it, it is what it is. And, um, you know, honestly, everything happens for a reason. And um, I'm just blessed to be out here in Indy. Well, clearly you go to a place that wants you. And that was exactly. uh, exemplified by the contract that they did uh, give you. Uh, but particularly because of what you bring and your role, uh, they feel like the three technique guy is maybe the, the tip of the spear for this defense. What do you envision you know, your role with this organization being? Yeah, uh, honestly, the <laughs> pretty much the same exact role I had in, you know, back in, um, uh, San Francisco, uh, you know, they, they want, you know, back in San Francisco, they wanted me to be a leader, obviously. And, you know, um, I was a, you know, a vocal leader when I needed to be, but I'm, I'm mainly lead, led by example, 
you know, being able to take on, you know, those uh, double teams, you know, in the trenches, you know, freeing up the linebackers. Um, but at the same time, you know, stuffing the run and um, on third down, rushing the passer. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed. I mean, you know, I'm actually, you know, I'm lucky I can do all those things. Uh, Indy saw my, you know, what I bring to the table and what I'm, I'm able to do. And I'm just excited to be a part of this, uh, this defense. We got a lot of, you know, young talent and, you know, a lot of really, really elite players on the defense. And I'm just excited to play with them. Just uh, what's the feeling getting the security of that contract right after your rookie deal and, and uh, kind of setting yourself up uh, and all the hard work paying off? Yeah, like you said, I mean, I mean, all the hard work definitely paid off. Um, you know, uh, as as a player, obviously, I mean, you you strive for those championships, and it's always a goal. That's why we play the game. But at the same time, I mean, you know, to have a team, you know, recognize the you know the effort that I've been playing with, you know, from day one, um, you know, to you know to, to see you know what I've accomplished over the first four years of my career. Um, and, you know, compensating me for it, um, you know, it's it's a great feeling to have, you know what I mean, to, to have an organiza- organization believe me that much and want me that much. And that's why I'm very excited in the way everything turned out being here in India, because I know that, you know, from top to bottom, they, should, they, they got my back, you know, and, you know, moving forward, I got there. And so uh, it's it's definitely a great feeling to have. Well, you mentioned the word championships, and you were on the verge of realizing that goal and that dream, participating yeah. in the Super Bowl. Uh, it didn't yeah. ultimately go your way, but what did that experience do for you? Uh, what, do you what do you extract from being able to play in your first Super Bowl? Yeah, um, you know, honestly, the, the experience under my belt, you know what I mean? Uh, being able to go to my first playoff, uh, you know, my first playoff appearance, you know, um, last year and, and being able to take it all the way, you know, um, you know, not a lot of guys. I mean, there's a lot of guys who play a lot of years that don't even get to sniff the playoffs or even sniff a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I was I was right there. I was I was six and a half minutes away, you know, from from being a champ. And um, I'll never forget that feeling. You know what I mean? Um, it, it definitely hit home and, it hit you know, it hit hard. And, uh, you know, being that close, it, you know, it's, it's in your fingertips and I just let it slip away. You know what I mean? Um, that, that third, that third and 15 that Patrick Mahomes, you know, completed to Tyreek Hill. I, I'll always remember that play. Cause I was definitely the play that, that turned that whole game around. And, you know, I just hitting Patrick and taking him to the ground as soon as that, that ball left his hand and having that feeling, you know, that gut wrenching feeling when I looked up and saw the ball completed, I mean, I knew right then and there, I mean, that's that was a play to win the game. You know what I mean? In my eyes, I, that was a play to to finish it. And, um, I mean, they just made up one more play than us, and um, that will always stick with me forever. And, obviously, that, that definitely drives me. Yeah, it sounds like it, it probably stuck with you for some time. Were there, like, some sleepless nights and, and those kinds of things in the aftermath? Yeah, definitely. I, as soon as we got done with the, the game and everything, um, I think the next day I watched the film and – it you know what I mean it, it didn't help at all you know it just I mean just being so close and letting that slip between, between your fingers I mean it's it's a it's a terrible feeling to have and but it but at the same time it you know it just feels a fire and um being on such a great team that you know like last year and seeing the the potential that we had in the beginning of the year the talent we had all the young guys and the vets I mean coming here I see the same exact thing honestly and I'm, honestly we have, we got a great coaching staff uh, we, got, we got great guys on the team, you know, great culture. And that's where it all starts. It starts with the culture. And, you know, the guys in the locker room, I mean, from top to bottom, I think they're, they're all pros. You know what I mean? And um, I'm just excited to get it, finally meet everybody in person and get to, get into that locker room and get things started because we, we can take it all the way this year. 
Yeah, I think you're you're a guy, right? Who who's seen what it takes to build, right? Two and fourteen, uh, your rookie year, leading all the way up to right a, a Super Bowl appearance uh, in that fourth year in San Francisco. What, what, what do you kind of take away from from your time as you developed and matured uh, as a professional uh, from your time there in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, you just gotta you gotta keep rolling. I mean, you gotta you gotta have a. I mean, you gotta you gotta have thick skin. I mean, you know, being two and fourteen, my my first year to six and 10 to four and 12. And then finally, you know, being on a 13 and three team and, you know, making a run for a Super Bowl. I mean, I mean, you see it all and you go through a lot, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's crazy being in, you know, especially being on a losing team, that two and 14 year, I mean, it was the longest year of my life, you know, being a rookie, you go from your senior year of college, you know, you, you go to a fall camp, you play entire season, bowl game, then you go to the combine, you got, I mean, you got the combine, you got pro day, and then you got rookie mini camp, and then you got OTAs, and then you got uh, training camp, and then through a whole season. I mean, it was just the longest year of my life. On top of that, going from a winning team to to a losing team, I mean, the the losing it, it piles up, and you know, it, it definitely you know it can tear a locker room apart. I've seen it happen a little bit, you know what I mean? My my first year, and um, I've seen guys give up in that rebuilding phase when we're still losing, but seeing the type of guys that, we, you know, Shanahan then brought in, um, you know, the type of culture that we were building. Um, you know, you knew it wasn't going to ha- happen in, you know, in just one year, but eventually we knew that it was going to happen. And, you know, the third the third year with the new regime, um, you know, we, we went to the Super Bowl. And that was just the, everybody buying in and, you know, believing in the culture that we had. And, um, I mean, it was, a, it was one hell of a ride. Yeah, and you were part of one of the, the building blocks of that, especially that defensive line unit, uh, which was so good. With, you know, fellow Duck, Eric Armstead, uh, Nick mm-hmm. Bosa, Solomon Thomas, uh, first-round picks all across that line. What, what, what was that dynamic like? Uh, and what made you guys so good, not just individually, but, but seemingly as, as a unit as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody, I mean, that room was, I mean, as tight as it gets. You know what I mean? It was the culture that we were building, you know, when, especially when Shanahan, them, uh, you know, John, them got there with that D-line room. Finally, when, you know, the, all the hype with the whole five first-round picks and all that, I mean, we just couldn't let all the outside noise get to us. And, I mean, over the past couple of years, already building that room, you know, with, with Eric and Solomon and, and um, you know, Sheldon Day, um, you know, Ronald Blair, uh, you know, all the guys in, in the room, DJ Jones, um, you know, it, it's just building – just building all that chemistry over the past couple of years, you know, and then last year finally getting those final pieces with, with Nick and, and D bringing them into the group and, you know, just having that tight knit group that we had. I mean, we just, we just wanted each other to succeed and also everybody's a competitor in the room. So, you know, we had little, you know, bets among each other, you know what I mean? Especially on game days or even in practice. I mean, we, we would bet each other in practice, you know what I mean? Um, You know, who could, you know, get to the quarterback first, little things like that, that, that just, you know, just drove us, you know, to be to better each other. You know what I mean? And um, it showed up on game days. So this becomes a really interesting transition for you, not just going from one franchise to another, but you are also doing so now as a guy with Super Bowl pedigree, a guy who is going to bring a certain level of veteranship and leadership. Uh, you get that contract. With that comes a, a greater amount of expectation. How are you approaching that and sort of what you want to be in the locker room and otherwise for this club? I just got to be myself, honestly. Uh, you know, I mean, it's being myself is what's got me here today. And I mean, there's nothing I need to change personally. Um, you know what I mean? I don't need to start speaking up more or showing out for the guys or any of that. You know what I mean? Um, um, I, I've just approached the game 
uh, the right way my entire life. And, um, you know, obviously I'm a people person and you know what I mean? I, I just got to be myself. I mean, there's nothing that I got to change uh, to try and impress anybody or any of that, or, you know what I mean? Put ex added pressure on myself to, you know, be the, the spotlight and be the, the greatest player on the field. You know what I mean? I got to go in on what I normally do every year. I got to do my job stopping the run and sacking the quarterback and uh, freeing up linebackers. So that's what I've been doing my entire career. And that's, how, that's what I'm going to continue to do. Another thing you've been doing is uh, in order to get yourself ready to do all that on game day, you've been putting in the work. But exactly. under these circumstances, it's been that much more difficult. What has been your regimen here in trying to stay in shape and stay sharp here as you get ready for whenever this season might be coming? Yeah, the, the past couple of months, um, you know, the, the organization has been giving us, you know, workouts to do weekly and everything. And um, I actually had a good setup um, out here, out there in Cali uh, with a good family friend. Um, you know, he's been letting me use his home gym. And then I've been going to one of the local high schools uh, to do my field work. So, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to go. Training camp was tomorrow. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, no, that, that is terrific. Uh, the other thing I think that has been so impressive, DeForest, um, has been your durability. Uh, what was it? One missed game, I think, so far in your career. Uh, you know, and obviously, knock on wood, that, that, that continues. Yeah. But what do you, what do you <laughs> attribute that to? Uh, yeah, I got you. Well, what do you attribute that to? Uh, I mean, that's been the case for, for a lot of your career, uh, just being able to, to get out there, battle through the bumps and bruises uh, and, and be very productive. Yeah, just um, really just staying in shape, staying, making sure I'm in shape, you know, with all the reps that I've been, you know, getting over the past couple of years. And, and also, uh, you know, obviously my preparation in the off season, you know, um, you know kind of, you know, building your armor, you know, all the recovery. Um, you know, that was a big thing that I, I've been, you know, especially my rookie season. Um, you know, I just been, I follow, I followed a couple of vets and, you know, kind of asked them, you know, what do you do to, to, to recover and, you know, on your downtime and little things like that and kind of building my own regimen, you know what I mean? As the years gone by and, you know, seeing what worked for me personally, what, you know, what my body responded to better and little things like that and, and making sure that I'm doing that on a weekly basis so I can perform, you know, to the best of my abilities. Yeah, we're, we're, are there any vets in particular that uh, that stand out for you that that, that maybe oh, yeah, gave you some, some really um, good advice? No, yeah, big time. Uh, honestly, one of the vets that I, I really you know looked up to and and I watched, especially going into you know my rookie season, was Joe Staley. I mean, obviously, hell of a player, but even better man. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it's just watching him on and off the field. I mean, it's been very inspirational for me. Uh, you know what I mean? Being able to have a guy like that in the locker room, you know, to do what he's done for at such a high level. You no know, other person you you know you would want to follow and you know really kind of you know pick their brain and you know soaking all the information. So he was definitely the the number one guy for me that I looked up to. Well, we've talked about how incredible, uh, for a number of different reasons, this 2020 year has been for you. Uh, but you mentioned the expansion of the family. How has that fit into all of this? And uh, how does that sort of change your, your perception on, on, on your approach to life and everything? No, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. He's seven weeks now, and um, it's, it's crazy. There's no, no other better feeling than being a father. Um, you know what I mean? You, you, you know, people tell you about it all the time, and you're like, okay, yeah, I hear you. But then t when that time comes and actually seeing him, you know, being born, uh, I mean, it's definitely the greatest feeling I've ever had in my entire life. Just seeing the little guy, I mean, obviously it's, it's another, you know, it's another why, you know, why I do the things I do. And honestly, you know, why it was such a big decision for, you know, me and my family to, to, to be open to the option of, you know, coming out to Indy. It wasn't all just about me. It was a, it was a situ, you know, it was a decision for my family to, to really, you know, be open to the decision on being out here, you know, being long-term. I mean, football short, 
And, uh, you know, that second contract is honestly the biggest that you'll get, you know what I mean? And weighing all those options, obviously, you know, having him, you know, at the forefront of everything, uh, you know, thinking about him, what I want to do for him, you know, to better his life. I mean, that was definitely one of the big, you know, reasons why we were out here in Indy today. Uh, Dominic, is that what you said? Dominic, yeah. Dominic, well, well congratulations. Uh, it's, that's a, a really wonderful accomplishment. I'm so happy for you uh, and the fam. Um, but you said little guy, and I just, I don't know, I'm imagining, you know, your offspring is coming out and like, you know, is already maybe the size of a freshman in high school or something like that. <laughs> no, not there. Not there yet. Maybe at six months. <laughs> Hopefully inherited the big DeForest Buckner hands. That would be, sure. uh, that would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have not been shy about your desire. And this kind of goes for a lot of the guys from Hawaii. I think there's a really sort of strong spirit connection to your home base. Uh, mm -hmm. But you have not been shy about wanting to do things that are more on the philanthropic side and do things for some of the community, uh, whether it be in West Oahu or wherever. Uh, why is that such an important thing for you? Yeah, um, giving back to, you know, my community has been, you know, always something I was, you know, really held dear to my heart because it's community that, you know, the people in your community that help you know, shape you who you are today. Um, being being in the position that I am today to give back, you know, to to the youth or to you know just the community in general. It's it's everything to me. The most recent thing I've done was give back to some of the doctors, you know, out there on Oahu, and just especially during this pandemic and everything. Um, you know, just I just wanted them to to be able to have you know just you know have a meal ready for them. You know what I mean? Um, just show them that we appreciate them for all the efforts that they've been doing, all the long hours they've been putting in, you know, to make sure that everybody everybody on the island is doing good, you know what I mean, and staying healthy. So, and also, I mean, co-hosting camps with Mike B and hosting my own camp a couple of years ago, um, you know, for the youth, you know, I, I really think, uh, you know, especially using my platform, I'm, you know, it, I mean, I can be very impactful. One thing that I remember when I was younger was going out to Oregon for, for a camp, and, uh, and Dominican Sue was one of the guys helping with the D-line. And, you know, especially at that time, I mean, he was the guy, especially as a D tackle, you know, you want to be just like Ndamukong Sue and, you know, he's such a dominant player and, you know, to be able to spend a week and learn from him and kind of, you know what I mean? Just kind of soaking all the information. I, I mean, it was very impactful for me and it just showed me, you know what I mean? The, the, the fact that those guys taking the time out of their day to, you know, to, to help guys, you know, young guys like me, you know, to become better. I mean, I just wanted to be in that position to give back, you know, when I got there. It's one of the main reasons why I like helping out the youth, too. So it's kind of funny to think it wasn't really that long ago. You were one of those kids, you know, yeah. coming through Punahou from Waianae, uh, you know, and, and you were a really good basketball player for, for, for those who don't know in high school. Um, yeah. You know, what did, did you envision, you know, at what point did, did football become the primary goal, but the primary objective for you uh, as you kind of yeah. worked your way through your high school athletic career? It was my junior year is kind of one of my mindsets shifted. Uh, so it was the summer before my junior year, oh, my AAU team, um, the Honolulu Sharks, we're going to Vegas again, you know, to, you know, playing the tournaments up there. And obviously there's a lot of, you know, basketball scouts that go out there. And uh, my coach, he had, you know, some scouts lined up and, I uh, ended up actually spraining my ankle in the Iolani, like summer league. I sprayed it pretty bad and on, I couldn't make the trip. And, you know, your junior year is your biggest year to get recruited. And, you know, that was my, you know, for me, my big shot to really, you know, show teams in the mainland that I can play. Uh, it was, you know, it was unfortunate. And I was already, you know, starting to get offers and everything in football. So, I, you know, I was, you know what, you know, might as well shift your mindset to, to playing football. And, and so that was kind of the really the big moment for me realizing, like, you know what, football is going to be the route. And, 
stuck to it. And I mean, obviously I'm very happy that I stuck with that, with that path. Yeah, the, the football thing's turned out okay. I, I think we can agree yeah. on that. Uh, do, do you still go out and hoop much, or, or uh, is uh, that kind of forbidden? Yeah, for, for me, it's forbidden. Uh, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything to, to risk my chance of getting hurt. So, uh, you know what I mean? When I get a chance and I see a hoop, I mean, you know, I'll take a couple shots. You know, that, that's what we had in San Francisco. We had a hoop in the locker room. So I'll take a couple shots, but no pickup games for me. Not till I'm done. You can still throw it down, though, with the best of them, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> no doubt, I no the, doubt. I, I, gained, I gained a pound or two since then, but for sure. <laughs> um, let's get to a couple of the topical things here as, as we sort of come towards uh, the end of this. Um, you know, we had the report in the last few days of uh, Zeke Elliott and several members of the Cowboys, as well as the Houston Texans, testing positive for the coronavirus. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty as far as when football activities and team activities will be able to pick up. Uh, where are you at on this in, in terms of your level of concern or just consideration overall for how this thing may look moving forward? Obviously, like recently learning about Ezekiel and a lot of the guys, you know, getting sick with the, with the, with the virus. I mean, I mean, it's just very unfortunate, you know, the timing of it and just unfortunate that they got it. You know what I mean? Um, um, I'm sure they were trying their best, to, you know, social distance and everything. And I mean, I mean, it's just unfortunate sometimes. And but uh, last time I heard was, you know, we were reporting around July 27th or the 28th. And so hopefully it sticks. Uh, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I know so far they still haven't allowed players to unless you're hurt, you know, are recovering or do, doing rehab. Those are the only guys that can really go to the facilities and report. You know what I mean? So uh, it's looking like late July. And then that's what I've been training and preparing myself for. So. You know, just a fingers crossed situation, I think, on that one. Uh, and that's exactly. just sort of one element of what's happening in the world around us. The other, you sort of mentioned it, uh, is what we have seen in terms of the social unrest and this movement that has been continuing to gain momentum, Black Lives Matter, uh, not just police brutality, but also just the way people of, of color are treated mm -hmm. in this country. Uh, you are of Samoan and Black descent. Uh, and I was just wondering what your view of all of this is and, and what your experience maybe uh, with some of this has been yeah. to inform your stance on it. I mean, I'm, I'm totally behind the movement because um, black lives do matter. I mean, all lives matter, but they won't until black lives matter. And that's the, that's the whole movement. And um, honestly, yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm black and someone and I grew up in the island. So, you know, some people uh, wouldn't think, you know, uh, coming from the islands that you, you have some of those, some of those experiences, but I, um, you know, in my position, I mean, I, I have, I've been socially profiled. Um, you know, I've been, I've been treated different because of my color. Um, you know, especially moving out to the States. I mean, even my wife could even tell you, you know what I mean? She's experienced them with me and she's, you know, she's, she's obviously Caucasian and, you know, she, it makes her mad, you know, seeing the way I'm, treated sometimes in public by certain people and I mean it's it's fun it's crazy because you know as as a person of color I mean you you kind of come uh, numb to it you know for because it's been happening your, your entire life and I mean it's just not the way to live I'm a, I'm a people person you know what I mean I have I have friends 
of, you know, all colors. I mean, I got white friends. I have Asian friends. I have Polynesian friends, black friends. Um, you know, name it. I have, you know, I'm, I'm a people person. I feel like if you have a good heart, I mean, and that's mainly, I mean, that's especially in Hawaii, you know, living in such a diverse community, um, you know, people mainly judge you by, you know, your intentions and your heart. And I mean, that's what I've grown up to do, you know, judge others by their intentions and, you know, and their heart and what they, you know, what they believe in and, you know, their values. And if the world was more like a locker room, I mean, we'd be in a better place. For sure. And, you know, we one thing that we've talked about, especially uh, we took a whole week of like Zoom meetings and, um, you know, our coaching staff allowed us to talk about these, you know, what's going on. And, you know, the main thing we, we really came up with was, you know, it starts at home. Um, you know what I mean? Teaching, teaching the youth and um, having those uncomfortable conversations, you know, especially with your family. I mean, it starts at home and, you know, it starts with my son, with me, you know, teaching my son about, I mean, the social injustice in the world and his skin color, it may affect, you know, some people and, you know, their mindset and certain things or whatever, but you shouldn't judge people by their color. I mean, you're judging by, like I said, their heart and their intentions. So, um, it's, you know, it's just a conversation we all need to have with our, you know, starting in our own homes. Well, the fact that we are having the conversations in the form that we're having them now, I think is pretty remarkable. We're, we're in a, a pretty stunning time, I think, uh, in our history here, and, and hopefully this is the, the precipice to actual legitimate systemic change. Um, exactly. And it may sound simplistic, but uh, you're wearing a shirt that says Aloha, and coming from <laughs> Hawaii, I feel like that's, you know, that's the key. If we just have exactly. Aloha for, for one another, you gotta right? You got to spread the Aloha, exactly. Yep. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's all it is. I mean, you just got to gotta be positive, man. Uh, you know, you just want to give out positive, positive vibes everywhere you go, and I mean, that's what I try to do. Well, we can't thank you enough for your time, man. Congratulations, not on just the trade and all the football side of things, but congratulations to your Ohana. Uh, and uh, say hello to Dominic for us, will you? I will. I appreciate you guys for having me. All right. Thanks, thanks DeForest. DeForest. Appreciate it, man. All right. Big thanks once again to DeForest Buckner. Uh, it was great talking with him. Uh, that dude is a made man in the NFL and one of the very best uh, in the biz. It's pretty cool to see just how far his career has taken him. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, our post-game best and worst. For our listeners on the Valley Isle, the Maui Flag Football League is on this summer starting as early as July 1st. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, Jordan, time for our post-game best and worst. Let's start once again with the best. What is your best here for this episode? Yeah, my best. Uh, the Premier League returned this week uh, in England, uh, one of the best soccer leagues in the world. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't the return to play. The players had requested, and it was approved, uh, and I applaud everybody involved, where they weren't going to wear the names on the back of their jerseys. They put Black Lives Matter on the back of their jerseys all across the Premier League. And look, I love soccer. I think anybody who, who listens and has listened knows that. Like, soccer's in a lot of parts of the world is as bad as it gets when it comes to racism. 
um, and, and even in England. Um, and so for the league and the players to project that, you know, something that's happening in the United States, right, and how it has been reflected across the world in a lot of major cities and a lot of major nations. Uh, and for all of the players in the Premier League, they took a knee prior to the start of these matches. And then to have that on the back of their jerseys, you know, and to kind of think just not that long ago, right? I mean, players were being chastised and ostracized for, for doing similar things in the NFL here. Um, and, and now to see a, a, one of the more recognizable leagues in the entire world um, adopt that and project that and make no apologies about it, um, I think is, is pretty awesome. So uh, kudos to, to the league, kudos to the players for pushing for that. Um, and uh, I would not be surprised to see maybe some leagues here in the United States domestically do something similar. Let's get to our worst. What's your worst? Yeah, speaking of uh, solidarity or maybe lack thereof, uh, this, this would usually be kind of maybe among my uh, more enjoyable topics. But uh, Kendrick Perkins on Twitter, uh, he's been kind of taking shots at Kyrie Irving. And, and look, Kyrie, Kyrie's had some off-the-wall thoughts and, and beliefs, and, and we've seen the reports, right, uh, of him maybe leading a charge to not go to the Orlando bubble and, and take advantage of the current situation and speak out. Um, you know, even reports on like a Nets team text talking about uh, starting their own league, uh, which apparently isn't a new idea from him. Um, and I, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of what Kerry puts out there, uh, but Kendrick has been, uh, Kendrick Perkins, again, who's, who I love uh, and I think has been great at this whole commentator thing, uh, kind of taking shots at Kyrie and calling them names and calling them out. And Kevin Durant, of course, is going to get involved and that feud is ongoing. Uh, and usually I am here for the drama. Usually I am here for the pettiness, but it does seem kind of counterproductive <laughs> to what we're trying, you know, what the league is trying to get accomplished, what the players are trying to get accomplished. Um, one, in terms of just returning to play. And then two, obviously, um, you know, trying to capitalize on the moment socially uh, as much as possible. So I'm just like, eh, I mean, usually I like Kendrick taking shots at some of these guys and, and, and uh, talking some trash, but uh, it seems, seems a little counterproductive. So I'll uh, throw that out there as my worst for yeah. the end of this week. You would like to see them a little bit more on the same page in that regard, not calling each other out. I mean, that is the distraction above all distractions, right, is when you have some of that infighting. Uh, my worst is, you know, you hear about five tool players in baseball, uh, but there are some who are just tools. And so I'm talking about a former big leaguer, Aubrey Huff, uh, who has made many questionable comments on social media in recent years. He posted another doozy, Jordan, this time lamenting the idea of wearing a mask in public suggesting that elderly people and morbidly obese people should just stay home since they are most at risk with regard to the coronavirus because wearing a mask infringes on his civil liberties and freedoms. Uh, dare I just come out and say, what an idiot. <laughs> Secondly, you know, the restrictions being placed on businesses and activities are already in effect in many instances. And so the wearing of the mask actually increases your access to many of these. It actually increases your freedoms, so to speak. Uh, not to mention, it's just human decency, right? It's just common courtesy. Uh, and it amazes me that you have people like Aubrey Huff who attempt to present themselves as these faith-based patriots uh, who actually display very little genuine concern about others and are in many cases really just selfish jerks. And Huff actually posted a new video today, right before we started uh, recording this episode, where he called on Christian men to, quote, stop turning our cheeks 
and pick up whips. Hashtag Jesus. Because that's totally what Jesus would be all about at a time like this. Yeah, Aubrey Huff, get out of here with that, man. Let's just care about each other. Can we just do that? Can we just think about other people? That's really what the whole mask thing is about. It's just trying to protect our neighbors. That's all it is. It's a very, very minor inconvenience, in my opinion. I like to think that we can uh, come together and uh, look out for each other. It's just something that uh, we got to accept as the normie. I had forgotten about Aubrey Huff. One just as like a former big leaguer until, yeah, I saw him going on his Twitter tirade again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I had forgotten about Aubrey Huff. <laughs> because it's not just the coronavirus that has brought out the uh, worst in Aubrey Huff. Um, there have been, yeah, I think, it, right, the, I think the Giants basically like disassociated themselves mm-hmm. with him at one point, right? Because I think he might have been doing some media uh, in his post-playing days. It's like, man, um, yeah, Aubrey Huff, he can, he can kind of just go back away for – for all I care. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you for sure, 100%. All right, that's it for us. Big thanks once again to DeForest Buckner. We appreciate his time. You can hit us up, you can hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. Uh, looking forward to our next podcast there, Jordan. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon, buddy. Sounds good, man.